For us, today marks the beginning of a new series of sermons I'm going to do, just five weeks worth, but today is Sunday number one out of five, in a series of sermons that I'm going to call Beginnings. Uh, Over the next five weeks, our text is going to be all from the first two chapters of the very first book in the Bible. It's the book of Genesis, and the word Genesis essentially means uh, beginning. And so I'm just talking about beginnings. Now, for the HRCC family, it was a couple of years ago, actually, that we did a study together on Sunday mornings of the book of Revelation. Revelation is kind of the opposite of Genesis. Genesis is the very beginning of the Bible. Revelation is the very end of the Bible. And while Genesis, as we're talking about today, addresses questions related to beginnings, Revelation has a lot more to say about endings. But I bring that up because when we looked at and when we read Revelation together, uh, you may recall I was talking about how I feel like there are a lot of people that are interested in Revelation and they have a lot of questions about Revelation. But in my view, many of the questions that are being asked are kind of the wrong questions. They're questions that that Revelation doesn't really intend to give us answers to. Questions like, when is the rapture, and who is the Antichrist, and what is the mark of the beast? And as we looked at Revelation together, we recognized that some of those words aren't even in the book, and yet people tend to be very focused on those questions when they read Revelation. It's just kind of, in my view, a way of misusing the text. If we're reading part of the Bible, trying to come up with answers to questions that that part of the Bible wasn't really meant to address We're misusing the text. I bring that up because in my experience, we have some of the same problems with Genesis. And especially these opening chapters, the very beginning of Genesis. We have a lot of interesting questions about the beginnings of the universe and the beginnings of the world. And we ask questions like, well, how old is the world? What about carbon dating? Uh, Whatever happened to the dinosaurs? And what about that whole six-day creation thing? Does that mean literally six periods of 24 hours? Or is is there poetry in that? Like, well, what does that actually mean? And those are interesting questions to be sure, but I want to suggest to you that those aren't the issues that Genesis is intending to address. And so studying Genesis in order to arrive at some sort of ironclad position on issues like those, I just don't think it's really going to work. And here's why. When the Holy Spirit inspired the ancients to write down the stories that we have in the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation and anything in between, when the Holy Spirit did that, he wasn't trying to teach us about history. That's not why he did what he did. He wasn't trying to teach us about science. That's not why he did what he did. Now, hear me well, I don't mean That doesn't mean that those stories don't contain elements of history, that they don't contain elements of science. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that even when they do, that's still not the focus. That's still not the purpose. It's still not the intent. That's still not why the Holy Spirit did what he did. Those aren't the topics that the Bible is here to teach us about. The Holy Spirit was, and he still is, trying to teach us about God, about his nature, and about his character. And in a similar manner, I believe the Holy Spirit wanted to teach us about ourselves and our place in God's kingdom. And those are the kinds of questions that we're going to ask about Genesis over the course of the next five weeks. And I believe that we're going to find some pretty satisfying answers. 
And so with that in mind, I want to read for you just the very first two verses of the Bible. This is Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, and that's as far as we're going to go today. It says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. I wonder if you recognize the Bible, though we think of it as a book and it's bound in our culture as a single book. It's not a book so much as it is a collection of books. I think the best word for it is it's an anthology of 66 different books. And those books came to us and were compiled by different means. Every one of them was written, it was edited, it was compiled by human authors. But be that as it may, we believe as a matter of faith that every one of those 66 books, every word within them was inspired by God. And what that means is that every word in your Bible was given to us by God with specific intent and purpose. And the words that we just read together are the very first words on that list. Read through the rest of your Bible in an English translation and you're going to find roughly three quarters of a million more words. There's a lot of words that we all say are inspired by the Holy Spirit, but these are the ones that come first. And so they are significant in that regard. As we read through the rest of the Bible, the Bible is going to tell us the stories of God's people throughout time. The Bible is going to reveal the character of God himself. The Bible is going to introduce us to God's son, Jesus. The Bible is going to give us insight into God's ultimate plan for his creation. And as we read through those pages of the Bible, as we read through those 750,000 English words, we're going to be surprised along the way. The Bible is meant to surprise us. We are going to be surprised to find out that God's nature is best defined not by his power, but by his love. We are going to be surprised to find that the way to greatness is by becoming the ultimate servant. We are going to be surprised to find that the king of the universe can actually sneak into his own story as a baby in a borrowed feeding trough in some backwater town with a rich history. We are going to be surprised to find out that death can be conquered and that life can be assured. We're going to be surprised to find out that the victorious lion of Judah looks more like a slaughtered lamb. There's going to be many other surprises throughout Scripture, but the Bible's first great surprise is in those first four words that we just read together. You see them on the screen. In the beginning, God. Just those first four words compromise the great surprise that opens the story of Scripture. And here's why that's a surprise. Most ancient cultures have their own mythology about how the world began, and most of them focus on the activity of a god or a group of gods. And in most cases, the first story is the story of how that god or those gods became gods, how they rose to power. And those stories tend to go a variety of different ways. And in some stories, 
uh, God defeated some other power in what was a prehistoric cosmic struggle for control of the universe. We have the ultimate death match and, and the winner becomes God of the universe. In some mythologies, uh, the earth itself is preexistent and the earth gives birth to God or the gods. In some mythologies, humans come first and there's some ancient hero who accomplishes a great task and is rewarded with divinity. And that's how God becomes God or the gods become gods. And all of the stories like that are offered to give humanity an answer to the question, how did our God become God? How did our God become God? But the Bible isn't like that. The Bible tells a very different story, a very unique story. In the Bible, God is always God. God is always God. There is no backstory. There is no prequel. There is nothing that precedes him. There is no substance that produces him. There is no rise to power. There is no battle with a rival. We sang it this morning in one of our songs, right? You have no rival. There was no struggle. There is no other explanation for existence outside of God because there is nothing else beside God. In the beginning, God. Nothing else. Nothing else. Just God. In the beginning, God. Just God and nothing else. He is and always has been alone in his office. Unrivaled in his authority. Everything in the universe found its beginning in God. He is the source of all being. In fact, in the very first scene in time, in, in the beginning, as we just read, right? We see the Spirit of God hovering over a still formless creation. The Spirit of God in a position of perfect control and perfect authority. And here's why that matters. The opening words of your Bible are there to introduce you to God and to remind you that he doesn't have to struggle with evil. He doesn't have to struggle with evil. Humankind has always tried to create these stories. How does God become victorious over evil? And in the Bible, we come to find out the great surprise is he doesn't have to worry about that. He has never had to worry about that because in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God, and he doesn't have to struggle with evil. There are plenty of worldviews, not just ancient ones, but worldviews that we hear common in contemporary culture. Worldviews that present the universe as some sort of struggle between good and evil. Some of these worldviews might be relatively optimistic. Some of them might even be willing to predict that someday, someday, if we just hold on, good will finally prevail over evil. But the Bible is not like that. In the Bible, the struggle is not real. There is no struggle. There is no question. There is no sense in which we hope that maybe someday good will eventually win out. Listen to this. We can't even accurately or truthfully say that good already has won out because there was never a struggle. There was never a struggle in the beginning, which is to say from the very beginning, God and nothing else. 
Does evil exist? Of course evil exists. Are you and I in our own power able to overcome evil in all situations? Of course not. But that is precisely why we want to live our lives under the protective care of God. Because while you and I certainly are vulnerable to evil, God is not, never has been, and never will be. Jesus very famously told the story of the wise and the foolish builders. The wise man built his house upon a rock and the foolish builder built his house in the sand. And so when the storms came, the foolish builder lost his house and the wise man who had built his house on the rock was able to withstand the struggle. A a good story to be sure, but I think a far more entertaining one and the one that I would choose to go with today is the story of the three little pigs. Not biblical, not biblical, but certainly, certainly very interesting. And can I just confess to you this morning that the big bad wolf messed me up as a kid, right? And I think there's a reason my mind went to that because I'm still a little bit scared of the big bad wolf. But you guys know the story of the three little pigs and the big bad wolf. The big bad wolf, if you're a pig, is capable of destroying you. The big bad wolf will destroy you. It's not a question. There's not a struggle. The pigs really are helpless in the face of the big bad wolf, right? There's nothing they can do. The big bad wolf will destroy them. He is capable of destroying you. And a house of straw and a house of sticks is not sufficient to protect you. One of the problems with our perspective in life is that sometimes we build our houses out of straw and out of stick. And then we complain when they get huffed and puffed and blown down. We say things like, how could a loving God allow that to happen? Meanwhile, even the big bad wolf knows that he is no match for a house built of brick. Now, is building a house of brick going to be more difficult? Is it going to require more effort? Yes, of course. That's what the story teaches us. And even if we do build our house out of bricks, might the big bad wolf still show up at your front door and pound on it and say, little pig, little pig, let me come in? Yes, there's going to be moments of threat. But is the big bad wolf capable of destroying those whose dwelling and shelter is secure? No, never. That story, I'm almost certain, It was on the mind of the psalmist (laughs) in Psalm 91 when he writes, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. What are you going to build your house with? Whatever evil you might be facing today. Can I just, can we just wait on that for a moment? Think on that. Whatever evil you might be facing today, God is sufficient refuge. He does not struggle with evil. He never has, because in the beginning, God. Whatever evil you might be facing today, God is sufficient refuge because evil is no threat to him. And that means that evil is no threat to those who shelter in him. Anything else you might seek is but straw and sticks. And speaking of straw and sticks, they are conspicuously absent in the opening lines of the Bible. The account of creation says nothing about 
straw or sticks or bricks or mud or clay. There are no atoms. There are no molecules. There are no photons of light. There is no matter of any sort. Uh, We just read the earth is formless at creation. It is empty at creation. And it's from that emptiness that God, all by himself, begins the work of creating. This creation from nothingness. There are no resources. There is no raw material. None of that was necessary for God to create because God doesn't need help. God doesn't need help. Now, we are going to explore this in greater detail next Sunday. But let me just say this for right now. God's creative vehicle is his word. God creates by speaking. If you know the story, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Let there be light. Let there be this. Let there be that. He says it and it happens. His creative vehicle is his word. He doesn't need anything apart from his own word. And here's what that means. Despite what you may have been taught growing up, the moon was not shaped by leftover green cheese. It is not made of green cheese. I'm sorry if I have shattered your whole worldview there, but the moon was not made using green cheese. The platypus was not designed using whatever parts were left over from the other animals. That's not how that works. And are you ready for this? The wiener dog's legs are not so short because God ran out of clay. Okay? There's important wiener dog theology here, folks, and we need, to, we need to have it. Whatever exists, exists because God did it on his own. When it comes to creating, it is not relevant to consider what resource God has at his disposal. The only thing that is relevant is what does God desire? And here's why that matters to us. He doesn't need my resources to solve my problems. He doesn't need my resources to solve my problems. Too often, I think we face a problem in this life and we begin to think this way. We begin to think, if only I were smarter, then I would know what to do. We begin to think, if only I had a better paying job, then I would have enough to be provided for. We begin to think, if only my spouse were willing to go to counseling, then my marriage would be saved. Now, obviously, it's a good thing to be smart. Uh, Better pay can be a real blessing. Counseling can be a great tool for healing broken relationships. All of those things are true. But the lack of those resources, not a problem for God. Not a problem for God. He doesn't need my resources to solve my problems. God does not have a supply chain problem. Unlike the rest of the world, it would seem. God does not have a supply chain problem. The blessings of God are not limited by the resources he has at his disposal. He created from nothing. And you know what he's doing today? He's still creating from nothing. The miracles of God are not limited by the raw material available to him. God did not need your help or anyone else's to create the universe. And what that means is he doesn't need your help or anyone else's to solve your problems. Does he need your submission? Yes. Does he need your participation? Yes. Does he need your humility? Yes. Does he need your willingness? Yes. But he doesn't need your stuff. He doesn't need your abilities. He doesn't need your strength. He doesn't need your resources. 
So you know what? Bring your brokenness to God. Don't hide it. Don't ask him for the tools you think you'll need to solve your problem. We make that mistake all too often in prayer, don't we? We ask God for the tools that we need to solve our own problems rather than just bringing our brokenness before God. You know, when my arteries are clogged, I don't buy a scalpel. I find a heart surgeon. And I say, would you please put me to sleep so that I'm just out of the way and then you do your thing. And I believe that our prayer life needs to come a little bit, become a little bit more like that. I think too often in prayer we're saying, God, I recognize that I have clogged arteries. Would you give me a scalpel? No. No. Don't, don't, I mean, just don't. Don't do that. This is how we need to approach God. Ask him for healing. Ask him for a miracle. And then stand aside and let your faith in his goodness make room for his response. Let your faith in his goodness make room for his response. Does that mean you're doing nothing? Of course not. Because we're listening. We're ready to be obedient. We're ready to respond to his instruction. We're ready to do all of those things. But you know what we're not doing? We're not driving the car anymore. We're not in charge anymore. You know why we're not in charge anymore? Because in the beginning, God. Okay? It doesn't say in the beginning, God, with a little help from Dan. No, 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 no. In the beginning, God. And if he can speak universe and galaxies into existence, then I think that when it comes to Dan's problems, God. When it comes to Dan's difficulties, the things he's facing, just God. Just God. When it comes to the issues in my life that I think need solutions, say it with me. God, just God, just God. You want God to be at work in your life because God work is good work. I'm sorry, that's like the cheesiest thing I'm gonna say today, right? But I just couldn't come up with any other way to put it. God work is good work. Later on in the passage, we didn't read it, but I know a lot of you are familiar with it. We, God creates things, you know, let there be light, let there be this, let there be that, let there be this. And each time he creates things, he sees it and he says, it is, it is good. We're going to talk about that in, a, in another sermon. We're going to talk about the goodness of God as displayed in his creative work. But God pronounces things good. We don't need to go that far in the text. We can just look at the first two verses that we read today to already see that. Just in the very beginning of time, just in the first few lines that we already read together, even when creation is in its initial state, even when, as we read today, the earth is empty and without shape, even when there is nothing but deep darkness throughout the universe, even then, the Holy Spirit literally has it covered. Did you catch that? The Spirit of God was hovering. Oh, he literally has it covered. We read, darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering. He was like, yo, I got this. That's a mysterious image. It's spooky, right? It's haunting. It's not very inviting. But this that we're describing here, This scene is the foundation from which goodness will emerge. This mess 
this darkness, this mysterious depth is the foundation from which goodness will emerge because the Holy Spirit is in charge. When God is at work, good things are happening. Good work is God work. Here's why that matters. When God is at work, I can trust him. I can trust him because God work is good work. I want to invite you to do this. Take a look at one of the messes in your life. I'm laughing as I say that because it's like not a very encouraging instruction. Like I said, messes plural. Like everybody here has a bunch of messes. And for the sake of time, I need you to just pick one. <laughs> okay. But you get the point. Think about one of the messes that you have faced in your life. I want to tell you this now, in light of what we've just read about the creation account, if you are willing to entrust that deep, dark, wet, drippy mess to God, if you are willing to let the Holy Spirit hover over that mess, then you can stand aside and you can say, this is the foundation from which goodness will emerge. Amen? That matters to me. That matters to me. This is the foundation from which goodness will emerge. When God is in control, good work is being accomplished. And even if, do you hear me? Even if things look dark and mysterious, even if, still, good work is being done. And so we need to remind ourselves that God's nature is more dependable than my perspective. Somebody needs to tweet that out this morning. I like that one. God's nature is more dependable than my perspective because I might think that this situation is ugly. I might think that it's dark. I might think that it's scary. But God says, oh no, the Holy Spirit has it covered. That's his nature. And it's far more dependable than my perspective. The fact that it looks bad to me isn't relevant. It isn't relevant. All that matters is that God is at work. God work is good work. Can I give you a phrase? I want to give you something to just kind of stick in your mind and, and, and keep this in mind. And I, I want you to get in the habit of saying it when, when things look bad. I want you to learn to say, you know what? The Holy Spirit is on this. The Holy Spirit is on this. Say that with me right now. The Holy Spirit is on this. And when we're surrendered to the work that God wants to do, when I get out of the driver's seat and let God be God, when I let the one who by his word spoke the galaxies into existence, when I allow him to do that without inserting myself into the story, I recognize that even over the yucky, stinky, miry depths of nothingness, the Holy Spirit is on that. The Holy Spirit is on that. Situation look bad for you right now? Well, guess what? The Holy Spirit's on it. Things look scary for you right now? Well, guess what? The Holy Spirit is on that. You're not sure what's going to happen? Well, guess what? The Holy Spirit is on it. And when your life is surrendered to him, then this is the foundation from which goodness will emerge. Amen. Folks, that matters to me. And if I can just throw a little tiny dart... Can I throw a little tiny dart? I'm going to throw a little tiny dart. That matters to me a lot more than how old the planet is, where the dinosaurs went, or whether it was six periods of 24 hours or something else. I'm just not as worried about those things. I need to know that God is in control. 
I want to know that I can trust his character more than I can trust my own perspective. I want to know that no matter what I face, the Holy Spirit is on this. I'm going to ask Jenna and Hannah to come back and give us a little music because we're going to close in prayer time today. And I'd just like to have a little background music as we do that. Church, I want to invite you to apply what we've read in God's Word today. I want to invite you to think about, right, when I was, you know, think about the mess. Think about the, the shapeless, formless nothingness. Whatever that, that, apply that to your life. Apply that to your situation. Apply that to your circumstance. I want you to think about that right now. And then if, and I'm going to circle back to this, but if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if your life is surrendered to the will of God, I want you to stand back in total confidence and say the Holy Spirit is on this. The Holy Spirit is on this. And you know why the Holy Spirit is on this? Because that's what God does. That's what he does. In the beginning, he was already doing it. He was already doing it. It's who he is. And it's what he does. And so maybe it's time for us to recognize in a deeper, more profound way what God wants to accomplish in our lives. And how he wants to accomplish. Does God need my help? No. Look, there's a whole other sermon I could preach. Don't worry, I won't. There's a whole other sermon I could preach about the grace that God gives us by allowing us to participate in his work. If you hear me preach this sermon today and you think that what pastor told you is go home and, and sit on your backside and just let God do whatever he wants to do, you heard the wrong sermon. I misspoke. That's not what I'm saying. No, 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 no. There is a role for us to participate in the work of God. But I cannot participate in the work of God if I'm still holding on to the scalpel in my hand. Can't do it. But if God is God in my life, and I am not, then I can lay my head down in my house of prayer. And I can let the evil one pound away at the front door. And I can roll over and get the best night's sleep I ever had. Because in the beginning, God. When if I wake up and recognize that there are things in my life that just stink, that are in need of transformation, that aren't consistent with that goodness that God created. When I realize that, I can bring them to God. And I can say, God, in the beginning, you were creating good things. Let's keep on going. Let's keep on going. How many have a heart this morning that would say, God, let's just keep on going. Let's just keep on going. God, let's just keep on going. One other thing I want to say about all of this. There is an asterisk. There is fine print. And that is, I'm going to go back through my notes because I want to read this the right way. Psalm 91, verse 1. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Can I challenge you with that thought? 
where have you made your dwelling? Where have you made your dwelling place? The goodness of God is without limit for those who make their dwelling place within him. But it is without access for those who would build their houses out of straw and out of stone. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Church, if you're concerned, confused, or interested in what precisely that means, I know I've thrown a whole lot out. This has been like a rapid-fire gun sermon this morning, right? There's a lot going on here. If you're concerned, if you're interested, if you're confused about that, I want to give you one very, very simple answer here. And then I'm going to ask you to take the next step. The answer is a life submitted to Jesus Christ. The answer is a prayer that says, God, I recognize that in the beginning it was you and it was nothing else. And I want your forgiveness for trying to edge in on your story. I want your forgiveness, God, for trying to insert myself into the order that you created. In the beginning, it wasn't me. It was you. And so, Lord, in the present, in the here and now, in the today, it's still just you. It's still just you. Church, if that's you today, time does not permit, and it is not necessary for me to give you a list of, well, here's the doctrines that we believe, and I want you to No, 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 no. That's not what we're talking about. What we're looking for is a heart that says, God, it's just you. It's just you. Will you be at work in my life? I invite all of you to just bow your heads and close your eyes. Have a private moment with the Lord right now. I'm going to ask you with your heads still bowed because I want to be praying for you. I'm going to be looking at you right now. God sees you. But apart from that, this is private. I'm going to ask you, whatever your relationship with God has looked like to this point, if your heart in this moment is saying, God, I want you to keep going, would you just put a hand up so that I can know to be praying for you? God, keep going. Keep going. Keep going, God. Keep going. Thank you. You can put your hands up. I want to ask you in this moment, I'm going to do two or three more questions. I want to ask you in this moment, if you would like me to be praying for you because you feel like in light of what we've read in the word today, in light of what we've read in the word today, you feel like maybe I do see some ways in which I've tried to insert myself in the story. In the beginning, it was God, but I'm trying to make it like, well, I was a little bit involved. I've been living my life as if it was my prerogative. You identify with that part of what I've shared and you would like me to pray with you just that you would see the ways in which you can begin to let go of that responsibility. If you would like to say to God today, I am sorry that I put myself in your story. Would you just put a hand up really quickly so I can be praying for you? I see hands all over this place. Thank you. Thank you. Two more. We got time for two more. Here's the first one. I think there's people today who had forgotten that God work was good work. I think there's people today who in their hearts want to say, God, I just, I'm hungry for your goodness. 
I'm hungry for your goodness. I want to trust what Dan has said, but I am hungry today for your goodness. If you desire a fresh outpouring of the goodness of God in your life, would you just put a hand up really quickly so I can be praying for you? Lord, see it, Lord. See it, Lord. Thank you. And then the last question in this posture that I'm going to ask. I believe there's people here today that for the very first time would say, I need to surrender my life to Jesus. I need to be done being in control. I need to set aside and let God take his rightful place in my life. I don't know all that that means. I'm not a theologian. I don't know all that entails, but I know that I want to believe that God is good. I need to believe that God is good. And so I want to change my attitude about that today. One final time this morning, if that's you, would you just put a hand up so I can be praying? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You can put your hands up. Thank you. Lord, you see the faithfulness of your people. You hear the heart cries of your people. I pray, Lord, that this would be a holy moment. That as we move on from this space, what was accomplished in our hearts today would take root and it would grow and it would flourish. God, you desire good things for your people. You desire good things for your people. The shingles on our roof are only halfway done, but the mere presence, their mere presence, affirmation that you are still at work. And Holy Spirit, every time a hand went up in this room today was evidence that you are still at work. From the very beginning, God, it was only you. In this moment where lives are changing and hearts are being transformed, it is still only you. You are unrivaled and without you. As we move forward from this moment, Lord, even then, it will still only be you. Thank you, friends. Hallelujah. Let me give you one word of instruction, and then there's going to be dismissal. There's something specific that was said today that you want to respond to. Boy, that was a lot of us. Spoiler alert, I was looking. That was a lot of us. That was a lot of us. That's a good thing. Because God work is good work. If that's you, I wanna I wanna do more than invite. I wanna really impress upon you the, the need to share that with somebody. Find somebody that you trust and say, hey, I need to bring you into a little circle of trust here. God did something in my life today. If you don't know anybody here, my job is for you to trust me. (laughs) Okay? I'm your Huckleberry. My job is for you to trust me. If you don't know anybody here, come share that with me. But if you've got a friend here who loves Jesus, you go talk to them too. They're They're gonna celebrate with you just like that. But don't forget what God did in your heart today. 
Don't forget the change. Don't forget the hunger that you feel right now. That's the good work that he wants to do. Father, we thank you for all these things. We celebrate your goodness. We celebrate the transformational work that you do by your spirit. We recognize that in our dirt and in our mess and in our darkness, the Holy Spirit's on us. The Holy Spirit's on us. Teach us to see with those eyes every moment of every day going forward. We thank you for all these things. In the strong name of Jesus. And everybody says, Amen. 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 Thank you for coming to worship today. You can stand in the yard of Smith Street. Welcome our guests and give a blessing for the Lord.